Hello and good morning, a happy Father's Day to you all. Uh, for those of you uh, who don't know me, my name is Matt and I am the uh, youth pastor here at Seabreeze. And this morning is week three of our Epic Story series. Bevan, uh, two weeks ago, started the series off with uh, living an epic life and kind of talking about what exactly that looks like. Uh, last week, he talked about the opening scene. Uh, this was creation, or you could call it the epic beginning uh, to where this all started. And we learned that God is a good God and also that God is a loving God. Which brings us to the next chapter in this story, and uh, that is the fall. Uh, I have to admit, when I found out that I was uh, speaking on the fall for Father's Day, my initial response was, can I get another topic, right? Can I talk about something uh, slightly different? Because the truth is, this part of the story is not fun, and it can be challenging uh, to hear. But as I started working on the message and, and thinking about the big picture of God's plan and what is going on, I realized, well, yes, it is a sad chapter. It can be a downer. There is also so much more that goes on in this portion of the story. It's actually a very informative chapter on why we deal with the troubles that we have and the problems that we face in our lives today. And if you look closely at it, you realize that right from the beginning, there are elements of hope that you can see in the story, especially as you look forward into the future for what God has in store. Now, to get the full picture of the fall, we're going to continue uh, where Bevan left off last week in Genesis chapter 2, and this is where God is setting up some boundaries for Adam and Eve. Uh, it's chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So right in the beginning, you see that God is granting Adam and Eve dominion over what is going on in the garden, to work it, to take care of everything. There's a great amount of freedom they have in that. God has given them tasks to accomplish and, and given them a lot of, like I said, freedom in order to figure out how, how to do that. But he also provided them with boundaries regarding what they weren't supposed to do in order to keep them safe and also keep them heading in uh, the right direction. You see, God's design for creation in the garden wasn't for Adam and Eve to just be able to run around and have a ton of fun and do whatever they want. He had a purpose behind it. He had a purpose behind all of creation. And for mankind to move forward in his purpose, there needed to be boundaries. And with those boundaries, there, there were consequences for moving outside of them. Uh, now, I don't know about you, uh, but I uh, am not the biggest fan of boundaries. They're not a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not currently a huge fan of them. I sure wasn't growing up when I was younger. Boundaries were just lame, and they're restrictive, and there's too many rules. But since I've become a father, I've now started to see more and more the importance of, of having boundaries and uh, the fact that it's, it ultimately is an expression of love. Um, here's a picture of my son, Kyson. He is currently uh, 10 months old, and my wife and I are already starting to have to put boundaries in place and rules. Things like he's not allowed to go into the bathroom, rip all the toilet paper off the rolls, try to eat it, and spread it everywhere. It's not safe to try to eat a roll of toilet paper. Another thing that he's discovered he loves doing 
is he loves pulling power cords and cables out of the wall. It's fun, right? She's not allowed to do that. And he's definitely not allowed to poke things back into the outlets. That doesn't work either. And his favorite one, one of the big ones for us, is he's not allowed to climb the stairs unless mommy or daddy is there with them. He loves trying to climb up the stairs. And we set these rules in place for safety and to to protect our son because we love and we care about him. Because we want him to be trained in the right way as he's growing up and and understand what he's supposed to do and what what he shouldn't do. And this is is the same way that God is with us. He doesn't set up boundaries because his goal is like, I don't want them to enjoy life. I don't want them to have any fun. To to, to not have no enjoyment whatsoever in what they're doing. No, he sets them up because he loves and cares about us. And he desires for us to willingly choose to love and care and follow him as well. See, he has a purpose for all to see who he is, for all to see his glory. And he sets these boundaries in place to move people towards that purpose. If you have a goal, if you have a purpose in any area of life, there needs to be boundaries and structure in order to move in that uh, direction. So like I said, God, he wants us to choose this path of love and obedience willingly. And he gives us a great amount of freedom so this can happen. But we don't look at all the freedom that we have. We tend uh, to focus more on the negative side of what we're not allowed to do. And, And specifically in the story of Adam and Eve, I think we spend a lot of time looking at why is there that one tree and that one fruit or whatever it was you're not allowed to have. Like why would he even put that in the garden, like sitting there taunting and tempting Adam and Eve? It's like our image is they're in the middle of a desert with nothing there but maybe a pool of water. There's a single tree, and God goes, enjoy your time at my oasis. Don't eat from the tree. But that's, that isn't what happened at all. If you go back to the first half of verse 9, it says this in uh, Genesis 2. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. See, God was giving all kinds of options for them to obey. There was more stuff that they were allowed to do. There was a lot more stuff that they were allowed to do than they weren't. He provided them with with beauty, with so many options, with so much freedom, because he is a good and he is a loving God. He loves them and he loves us. Which brings us, though, to how evil entered our world. You might think with, with so much beauty, with so much good, and with, with everything being perfect, what caused sin to come in uh, to this word, into this world? Uh, Genesis 3, 1 through 3 says this. Now the serpent, this is referring to Satan, was more crafty. Right? He was shrewd. He was clever. He doesn't show up on the scene like a fire-breathing, red-eyed dragon being like, I'm here. That would make it a lot easier to recognize what you're not supposed to do. But instead, he comes on very manipulative. He comes on in a clever, in a crafty way. It says, so the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, again referring to Satan, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. 
You say they knew the boundary. A lot of times we, we claim to maybe have forgotten or not know what we were supposed to do. There's no doubt they knew the boundary and what they were or were not supposed to do. Now, there is a little bit of forgetfulness, right? Eve says she's not allowed to touch it. God didn't say that, but she knew she wasn't supposed to eat it. And if you keep moving on, in verse 4 and 5, it says this, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if you look carefully at what Satan's doing, he's causing Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and God's love. In last week's message, Bevan's two main points were the fact that God is good and that God is loving. So Satan starts to attack these truths. He starts planting these ideas in Adam and Eve's head that are leading them in the opposite direction. Right? If God was good, why would he be so restricting? Why would he be setting these boundaries for you? If God is loving, why did he put such a delicious, good-looking tree in the garden and tell you that you couldn't eat it? If God is good, why doesn't he want you to know the difference between good and evil? Why doesn't he want you to be like him? See, and that's one of Satan's major tools in getting us to fall into temptation, is to start doubting God's character. To start thinking, if I stay inside of his boundaries, somehow I'm getting ripped off. If I listen to what God is telling me, there's something I'm going to be missing out on. And we question it. So Satan gets to work. He causes some doubts, and he continues to move forward with his plan. And these are the next uh, couple verses, chapter 3, 6, and 7. It says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, right, most sin looks good. It looks tempting. Satan does not show up with a pile of trash that looks like a mistake and try to convince us to do it. No, it said it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Right? Make no mistake, Adam was right there this whole time. He chose to be passive and not do anything. He was there, though. Eve was tricked. Eve was convinced by Satan, but, but Adam pretty much rebelled right there with, with his eyes open. And it goes on in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right, suddenly, sin enters their lives, and sin enters into uh, the rest of the world. They immediately felt ashamed. They immediately felt guilty and, and had that desire to cover themselves up. And this is something that we can all identify with. We've all done something that causes us to want to hide, that causes us to want to cover ourselves up, uh, pretend like it didn't happen, to crawl away and to hide in the same exact way that Adam and Eve did. Well, it's probably not the exact same way unless you default to covering up your sin with a loincloth made out of fig leaves, but we do try to hide it. We do try to make it go away. We do try to do things that, that will make it right, or we have that idea of, of karma that we can just balance out the right and the wrong and get that, that clean slate. The problem is, sin in our lives, it can't be forgiven through our own efforts. It can't be taken away by something we do. It's completely outside of human control. 
Uh, when I was in high school, I had a job where I got to push a lot of shopping carts and load people's cars and make sure the parking lot was uh, clean. Um, but there was also so, some opportunity with this job to do some other stuff. For example, um, if people left stuff in the shopping cart, you could take it and you could keep it or you know, maybe exchange it for something else. Or when you're loading the car, you could forget to load everything into the car from the cart. And I started seeing these people do this and realized, huh, doesn't seem to be a lot of consequences going on. So after some time, I gave in to this temptation. I started following uh, the example uh, that was there. I mean, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was bad. But after time, I gave in anyways. See, just like I didn't handle that temptation, right? Adam and Eve didn't handle theirs either, and that led to consequences. Now, the consequences for me was I got caught. The consequence for me was I got called into the manager's office and had to sit down and have a conversation with him. And it didn't matter that I tried to apologize to him. It didn't matter that I was a hardworking, you know, employee before that. It didn't matter if I was like, you know what, I'll do really good in the future and kind of wash it clean. No. My consequence ended up being that I was fired. And the consequence from Adam and Eve is a little bit different. You'll see in the next few verses as we read, God talks with them and then he ultimately gives them uh, their consequences. Genesis 3, 8 through 13 says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, this is where the blame game starts right here. Then the man said, yeah, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it, right? So there's a couple things going on. God, well, you gave her to me, and she gave me the fruit, right? Not really my responsibility, and it continues moving forward. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Now, blame is contagious. Eve's like, I can get on this too, right? She's like, yeah, not my fault. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Right? Adam led in the blame game. And Eve was totally okay with following on that and starting to point fingers, not taking ownership in what happened. They instantly had a reason of whose fault that it was. And after this, after God had heard them, he tells them the consequences for their actions. And he starts with Eve in, chapter, or in verse 16 of chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. All right, there's two things. Sin causes pain in childbirth. And I've seen this. It's, it's a very painful thing. It's completely different than it is on TV. And I don't know if it was going to have no pain at all in the beginning or just a lot less. But that was one of the consequences of sin. And there was also, at this point forward, going to be a wrestling match between men and women in marriage. She's going to want to control him. He's going to want to be in control. Adam shirked his responsibility, and Eve stepped up. This back and forth of who's leading, who's responsible, continues on to this day. And that was a consequence of the sin that they did. But after this, God moves to Adam in verse 17 and 19, and, and he tells him what his consequences are going to be. 
To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, right? God already talked about this matter. He knew what, was, what he was supposed to do. And he said, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, right? More pain is going to happen. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, right? So the ground is going to be hard to work with. There's going to be pain in it. There's going to be thorns, and there's going to be thistles. It's going to be a struggle. I don't know if you guys have ever had a yard to experience this. Uh, Before where my wife and I lived, uh, we had a front yard that had some fake grass in it. Even that was a pain to take care of, right? The weeds like came up through the grass and you couldn't like pull them out because the grass was like stuck to the ground. So you like picked them out one at a time. You, we had a special broom to sweep the grass because that's a thing, right? You would sweep your fake grass and we had a vacuum, right? I had to sweep and vacuum my fake grass in my front yard. And it never mattered how many times I did this or how perfect it was when it was done. A day, two days, or a week later, I was right back out there doing it all over again. This was a consequence. Verse 19 says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and for dust you will return. So you want to eat, No longer is this process going to be easy. You want to work? No longer is this process going to be easy. It's going to be painful. There's going to be toil. And ultimately, you're going to die. You're no longer going to live forever. See, up until that point, that was was in the cards. They were going to live forever. But now death enters into the world. And this is life as we know it. We all know that life is full of the consequences of sin, and we all know that it ultimately ends in death. Now, some of us know this all too well, but there are no escaping. There is no way to escape the consequences of sin in this world. So, are we depressed yet? (laughs) It's sad. But like I said at the start, there is hope. You see, God's goodness and his love will prevail. He has a plan right from the beginning of how this is all going to come out. Even in our rebellion, even in the consequences, you can see what God's plan is. God is providing us with the promise of redemption. In fact, there's a major theme of redemption that flows all the way through the Bible, and it starts, you first see it right here in the consequence that he gives the serpent. So we go back to Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, and, and it says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, so there's a hostile battle that's going to go on right here, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So from this point forward, there is a struggle, there is a fight, there's a battle going on between the satanic forces and ultimately Jesus, who we're going to get to in just a second. He finishes up this verse saying, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right, so this, this war would be fierce. This war is going to be real and it's going to be a struggle. And we're going to feel that struggle in our lives as, as, as it, that battle goes on and tries to keep us blinded as it tries to keep us enslaved and ashamed. But in those two verses, there's also a prophecy of hope. You see, to Satan, God is saying this. 
and you shall strike his heel. Right, so the enemy will be working constantly to attack and to cripple, to, to kind of be in a, nu- a nuisance to what's going on, to be a pain. However, God is going to have the final word. You see, speaking of Jesus Christ, he says this, he will crush your head. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And this is a a promise of a coming hero that will do what we could never do on our own. It is a promise of a total victory that is going to happen. So we've seen in the the Bible today, that, that epic story that is going on between God and, and humanity really did take a turn for the worse. And you look around today and, and you can still see that it seems pretty bad. There's a lot that is going on. Sin entered and it changed everything. What Adam and Eve experienced when sin first came into the world is something that you and I still experience now. It's a continuation of that story. This life as we know it, we must all deal with the consequences of sin. And we're all here today, most of the time, we don't even realize just how many consequences we're dealing with on a regular basis. I'm often reminded that life is a constant battle. There is no easy button to push to make the consequences of sin go away. It doesn't work like that. I deal with temptations in my own life and the consequences of of how I choose to react to that. But I also deal with the temptations and the consequences in other people's lives depending on how they react. See, we all can choose different ways to respond to sin. When we face its consequences, there are different responses that are out there. There are three common ones that people deal with the consequences to sin. And we actually see all of these in our original parents of Adam and Eve. The first one is to doubt God's goodness. We see evil consequences and we we look at the fall and we decide that we must do whatever we can to protect ourselves, to protect our interests and make sure that we're taken care of. We draw the conclusion that God must not be good, that God must not be loving, that God must not be powerful enough because there's evil and sin in this world. So we decide that we need to chart our own course. We need to figure out our own stuff, that in our own power, we can get this right. We can figure this out. And that was at the heart of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey. See, Satan had got them to question God's goodness, to question if he really loved them. Because he had boundaries in place. Would he put those there if he cared about you and loved you? So because of that, they decided to step out and go on their own way. They decided to do uh, their own thing. And in the story of Adam and Eve, and really if you think about it, you bring it into the present day, you start to see there are even more consequences involved as we step out and we do this. It ultimately leads uh, to more rebellion and impacts not only us, but those that are around us. The next thing is is self-justification. Right? Instead of le- readily admitting it, we, we do what Adam and Eve did. Right? We justify why that action and why our response was okay. If I carelessly use a word in, in anger and I'm upset and I hurt someone, it's a struggle for me to, to say, you know, this was my fault. This is, this is, I need to take care of this. It's a lot easier to start thinking, you know, if they hadn't done what they did, you know, I wouldn't have had to respond that way. 
If they hadn't said what they said, then I would have had no need to say what I said. And I, and I think of, you know, family, because that's a super easy way to, to get some examples like this, specifically growing up with two sisters, right, in junior high and high school, it was, it was back and forth all the time, right? If she hadn't tattled on me, I wouldn't have had to tell on her this time. If she hadn't pushed me, I wouldn't have had to push her, right? If she hadn't made fun of me, I wouldn't have had to hit her with the bat, right? All of these things... <laughs> All of these things we try to justify in our life. And we use it to try to replace God with ourselves. We look at the Bible and it tells us what to do. It tells us how to live our lives. It tells us how we should treat people, how we should respect the authority over us, how we should love the people that hate us. It tells us how we need boundaries in our physical life that we need to follow. It tells us how we should handle and use our money. And we think, yeah, no. God, you, you, you probably knew what you were talking about then, but it's different now. It's, it, the circumstances have changed. It, you know, the scenarios in my life are different. So we end up adjusting what God has to say, and then we justify why we do or we don't do certain things. And the third common thing we do when we face the reality of sin and its consequences is, is we hide in shame. And I know this can be pretty easy to, to do when we mess up, right? We, when we cave to our temptations, we kind of default to, to what Adam and Eve did. We hide it, we cover it up, we throw on the modern-day fig leaves, and we pretend like nothing happened. We move forward. It's easy to default to trying to wall off God or wall off other relationships, to avoid uh, having to show humility, to avoid having to, to seek forgiveness and make the relationships right. But then it leads to us having walls in our life between us, between God, between other people. When faced with the reality and the impact of sin, each of us, instead of defaulting uh, to these common responses, we can choose to do something different. We can choose to trust God who has redeemed us. Here's a question for you guys. Have you ever, you know, watched a movie or read a book and in the middle, it's just so bad, you're like, I can't keep reading it or watching it. So you're like, gonna jump to the end, right? Like, I wanna just see if it gets any better. Or you go online and you just kind of look up the conclusion to the movie because you don't, you know, you don't wanna know, if, like, waste all your time watching it. So we wanna figure out uh, what's there. You know, don't wanna get too depressed. I've done it. Uh, and, and I mentioned at the start of this, this message, right? There is, there's, there's hope. It starts heavy and depressing, but, but it's not the final chapter in this epic story. So I want to jump into the future and take a look at where we're headed. It's a spoiler alert, just, just so you guys know. God has already said what's going to happen. God has already let us know how he's going to wrap up history. We don't want to quit in the middle. We want to fight on till the end. We know what the end looks like. The passage that I'm about to read from you or read to you describes how God will make all things right, how we will redeem his followers, how he will heal the brokenness from sin. Uh, it comes out of Revelation chapter 21, three through four, so pretty much the very end of the Bible. It says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You want an awesome picture. You want a beautiful picture. That's, that's it right there. See, God is going to restore the brokenness. God is going to wipe away every tear. God is going to stop the mourning. He's going to stop the pain. He's going to stop the old order. That's the sin and the consequences. All of that is going to go away. And God isn't going to leave. He's going to dwell there with his people, those who have chosen to follow him. Now we can all choose to turn to God here and now. We can choose to let him lead our lives going forward. We can decide to not give in to despair, to not give in to the lies of this world and what it claims to offer, but just instead depend on God's promises of what is to come. And we accept this future promise from God by accepting and believing in his son, Jesus Christ. His son, who 2,000 years ago came down and, and lived a perfect life, and then crushed Satan's head by dying on the cross, who was then risen from the dead three days later as king, as conqueror over sin, as conqueror over death and of Satan. It was the fatal blow to the enemy. Now, choosing to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't mean everything becomes perfect. It doesn't mean everything becomes easy and there's no longer any of these consequences left in this world. There is still a battle going on. There is still a struggle that is happening and it will continue to happen until God wraps up this world. We will still need to deal with temptation. We will still need to deal with the consequences. But what it means is that our life has been made right with God. It means that we have assurance in what the future holds. We know the end of the story. So what's next? What do we do? What does it look like to to live in this tension until God wraps up history? Well, for that, I would would encourage you to come back next week as Elliot is going to be talking to us about chosen but struggling. And before I close this up this morning in prayer, I want to encourage you on a couple of things. First, if you have never committed your life to Christ, if you have never before accepted him as your Lord and Savior, as taking that gift of covering up your sins, and you want to start that journey today, I would encourage you to pray with me in just a moment. If you currently are following Jesus Christ, and you've You maybe stepped away, you're struggling, there's areas that you need to submit back to God, and you want to move back in line with him, move forward uh, with his goals, then I would encourage you to take this time as as we pray to release those areas back to him, to turn those over to him, to submit to him, to follow his relationship in the direction that he is guiding you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you uh, today thankful uh, for all that you have done and all that you continue to do in um, in each of our lives, God. Uh, This morning, I want to lift up uh, the fathers that are in this room and and all the fathers that uh, weren't able to make it, God. I ask that you continue to guide them, continue to lead them um, in their walks with you. I pray that you give them a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage as they lead 
uh, their families forward in a way that honors you, God, in a way that is an example uh, to others that see them and it continues to point towards you. This morning, God, as we looked at the fall, God, we recognize that you are still in control. We see uh, so much goodness, so much love continues throughout this story. Father, we are truly grateful that even in our rebellion, even in our mistakes, that you are there and you have provided us uh, with your son, Jesus Christ, as a solution. A solution to make our, our lives right before you. So Father, I want to give an opportunity uh, to those who have, have never committed to Jesus Christ being their Lord and their Savior to pray with me now. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins, that you raised him from the dead. I want to trust him with my life, both as my Lord and as my Savior from this day forward. I ask that you, you guide and you lead my life uh, to show me the areas that I need to change and to help me to continue follow and to seek your will. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.